Grace and peace to y'all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The lyrics to that song, wow. I mean, it just really helps to bring it home to, 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 to think about and to know that in the aftermath of what Christ did on the cross for me and for you, there we are to be found standing unscathed because of what he's done. And we're going to continue in the, uh, uh, the kind of progression we've been going through each week, studying the life of Jesus and the different things that he uh, did. Uh, last week we spoke about the feeding of the 5,000, and this week we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through verse 33. So that's Matthew 14, verse 22 through verse 33. Remember, this is after he just fed the 5,000 plus. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. In the feeding of the 5,000, uh, as it invited us to uh, see an emphasis on Jesus' compassion, this week's miracle invites a focus on Jesus' authority. The text follows immediately after Jesus feeds the crowd. Having provided compassionately for those who were hungry, Jesus now sends away the disciples in a boat while he demisses the crowd. He continues by finally finding some time alone with his father. Remember, that's what he wanted to do in the first place, right? So now he's finding time alone. It is not until early the next morning, probably between 3 to 6 a.m., that the action in our text begins. The disciples were in the boat late at night and far away from the land because the waves of the sea were beating against the boat. They do not ask or cry out for Jesus, but Jesus comes for them on his own. Jesus is the one who initiates the encounter with the disciples by walking to them on the sea. Notice what is the main problem for the disciples in this passage. It wasn't the storm. 
The disciples did not ask for help against the weather, and they showed no sign of relief when the wind stopped. This is important to point out because it is easy to combine this passage with the calming of the storm in Matthew 8. In Matthew 8, the disciples were afraid of perishing as the boat took on water. But here in Matthew 14, the wind was against them and the waves were tormenting them. But that is not what caused their fear in this passage. What did cause their fear? Their initial reaction was understandable. Confusion and terror. They thought that what they were seeing was a phantom. Which is similar to the reaction when he appears in the upper room on Easter. They could hardly be blamed. Unlike Easter evening, Jesus had not promised he would walk to them on the water. He simply showed up unannounced, which may be why he does not chastise them. Instead, Jesus encourages them, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. A couple of things to point out. Late, I don't know if y'all have been out on the water, maybe on a cruise or maybe out fishing or whatever, and at night, and imagine wind and sea and lots of, you know, and the wind was enough to send the waves to torment the boat. It's very dark, and you see <laughs> something walking to you on the water. I mean, that's, immediately you stop thinking about the sea, right? There's that initial terror of, what is that? I mean, I would probably would have freaked out too. And another thing I wanted to point out, something that, if you notice all throughout the New Testament of when it talks about Jesus conversing with people, or there's, there's a pattern you can follow, his I am statements, where Jesus is saying, I am, I am, and it's a, it's a, it's a reminder, it to, it's, it's to point to us, to who told who in the Old Testament that their name was I am. Remember when Moses was at the burning bush and he asked God, well, what am I going to tell Pharaoh what your name is? And God says, I am. You tell him that I am. And if you go back and it, it says here, it says, take heart, it is I, because that makes sense linguistically for us in the English translation. But what Jesus actually said, if you go back and look, Jesus says, take heart, I am. When Jesus says, do not be afraid, this is when Peter opens his big mouth. He poses a question, maybe a challenge, to Jesus. Hey, if it's you, you tell me to come out on the water. Doubting Jesus' words of assurance, Peter wants evidence. Surprisingly, Jesus obliges. Unsurprisingly, given Peter's impulsivity, Peter accepts the invitation and steps out of the boat. Doubts quickly rise up again, however, and Peter begins to sink. Notice that Jesus did not tell Peter to get out of the boat. He was actually coming to the disciples in the boat. Peter should have been patient and just waited on Christ to come to him. Peter's sinking leads him to call out to Jesus a second time. Not to challenge Jesus, but to find salvation in Jesus. And Jesus responds immediately. By reaching out his hand and taking hold of the sinking doubter. So my favorite part is where it says in verse 31 that Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. Why is it my favorite part? Because it was a reminder to me of who is running the verbs in my salvation. Who is running the verbs of this rescue for Peter? 
Is Peter doing something right here to not drown in the sea? No. How is Peter not drowning here? Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of Peter. Jesus is running the verbs of this rescue. While Peter is doubting, while he is afraid, Jesus is still the actor, the verb runner of our relationship with him. But that is not all. He also has words specifically for Peter alone. Did you notice that the singular pronouns in verse 31, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Did Peter's doubt cancel the willingness of Jesus to save him? No. But notice, Peter did have faith, little faith, and little faith in Jesus is enough. Not because of the size of the faith, but because of what the faith is in, Jesus. Because remember, Jesus said, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could move mountains, right? So it's not telling you to go and try to move a mountain, it's going to tell you how small your faith is. But see, the kicker is, is the size of our faith is not what is to focus on. It's to focus on who our faith is in. The Son of God. The text concludes that as the disciples respond with worship and confession. The fear of the disciples initially was brought about by Jesus, or more precisely, a lack of faith in Jesus. His rule over creation was both the source of the disciples' fear and the reason for their worship. This miracle helped to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. God uses facts and evidence to prove that Jesus is who he, who he said he is, the Son of God, God in the flesh. Remember, at the beginning of chapter 14, things are not going well for Jesus and his followers. It is reasonable to imagine that his disciples were wondering about the extent of his authority. Just imagine some of the questions the disciples might have had. Is he really who he says he, who he believes he is? Can he really do the things we believe he can do? His words of assurance are nice, but can they really be trusted? We too surely have the same questions often. And we too experience a lack of faith in Jesus that manifests itself in fear, just like Peter. Good news. Jesus has made certain specific promises to you. Jesus promises he rules over all creation. He promises he will deliver us from all adversity and provide for all our needs. But we do not always see it, which leads to doubts, as it, does, as it did for Peter. The result is often fear, as it was for Peter, and fear is powerful. It leads us into all manner of foolishness. Talking to myself. What is causing you to fear? Which promises of Jesus are you struggling to believe? To what foolishness is your fear leading? Maybe it's financial instability. Maybe it's the government, the pandemic. How long we must, must we live in this shutdown mode? To address your fears, I have the same words Jesus initially said to the disciples. Take heart. Jesus is the one. Do not be afraid. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Fear not, for I am with you. Be not, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who was, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. There are so many wonderful passages in the scriptures of where Jesus and God is telling us not to be afraid, that hope can be found in him. Jesus comes to us the same way as he came to the disciples on the boat, unasked for, sometimes unrecognizable, but always with authority. His stroll on the sea gave them a glimpse of his authority. He was walking on the sea. He wasn't running. He has enough control, enough command over his creation to casually walk over, the, over a raging sea. This scene also appears familiar. Where have we seen this before? Waters of the deep. Darkness. Chaos. Storm. God hovering or walking over the waters of the deep. Does it sound like Genesis 1? Probably should. Here, the creator, the word, is walking on top of the water. He is walking on that which he created and is about to speak into unchaos, into order, which is what he does for his disciples here. Also kind of looks like Moses crossing the sea. God's people moving from fear to faith. And another thing to point out, one of the Canaanites' little g gods' name was Moat. And this little g god Moat supposedly lived in the sea, and he killed people by swallowing them up. So here, Jesus is walking across the terror of the sea and its ability to swallow us up in death, and he's walking on it to us. When I was reading the passage about how Moat killed was he swallowed people up, the first thing I thought of was that verse, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? His resurrection from the dead sealed the deal. His promise to return will provide the final assurance. And hear this proclamation. Jesus has promised to return and to manifest his authority for all to see. I invite you to worship Jesus without fear, not only on Sunday morning, but throughout the week as you live under his gracious rule. He still has the whole world in his nail-scarred hands. Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus stretched out his hand to save Peter. Jesus right now is stretching out his nail-scarred hand to you this morning to save you. Christ was crucified for the forgiveness of your sins. Believe that. It is most certainly true. To all who are here this morning that need forgiveness of their sins from Jesus, I leave you with this word from him. By the order of and in the name of Jesus Christ, Son of God, you have the entire forgiveness of all your sins. This is the promise that removes your fear. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a wonderful word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm grateful for that this morning. Amen? Praise God. I would like to pray for a couple of folks before we close the service. Jesse being one, and also Uncle Bill Buckland, who is a dear friend of mine. He was one of the, the first Bucklands I ever got to know. Lives just down the road here. And uh, they were going to be taking his leg off because he has heart trouble. And not only that, he's had problems since he's had the operation. And uh, emotionally, it's affecting him. I've been able to work and do different things. And uh, he's a lovely, lovely brother. I remember, in fact, when uh, John's uncle Ian passed away in Scotland years and years and years ago. How many years did we know? He passed away in Scotland. And uh, I happened to say to, to Uncle Bill Buckland that, that Michael has to go back. So I wasn't long after that, I got a call from Bill, and he says, I want Michael to be able to go back, but not only him. He says, I want Gwen, John, Nancy, and the whole family to go back for his brother's funeral. At that time, Michael didn't have the means to do that, but that's what he did. And he called me, and he got together with some of his cousins and different ones, and they funded that trip for Michael Hewlands to go back to his brother's service. So he's a giving man, he's a kind man, and uh, he's not doing well. He's not doing well. And I, I'm asking for your prayers for that. So that's Uncle Bill Buckland, that's Jesse, also Jim and, and Wanda's grandson, Nathan, and Wanda there having difficulties with immigration and different things. And they've done everything legally, but it just takes so long. So they're needing a miracle in that side of their of their lives so let's that's nathan and melissa and is there any other prayer requests hallelujah william hallelujah will we pray for william also praise god and for his mom and for the family who are you pointing to chrissy who oh gloria oh yes All right. Praise the Lord. That's Pastor, Pastor Billy McKenzie, my friend, that had the COVID, got through that, and he's got uh, this thing come back, and it was cancerous before, and it's come back. So let's pray for him. He goes in on Monday. Gloria has had problems with her back. We'll be praying for her also. So that's uh, Gloria and uh, Chuck. Um, who works for Bill, his pastor, has just got COVID and uh, needs our prayer as well. Lovely man. And uh, that's, what's his first name? Do you remember? Michael. Michael. Last name? His last name is Michael Owens. Pastor Michael Owens. So we remember him in prayer. Hallelujah. So, yes. Yes, little Uzziah, thank you. We're praying for him. His parents are looking for a completed miracle. They want a new heart for him. He's a lovely, smiling little boy, but he's gone through the mill. So uh, our God is able, isn't he? We serve a faithful... It's not us. We've got to get out of 
our way of thinking that it's, it's us, but it's, it's God we're putting our trust in. And he's more able. He's a miracle-working God. He's a way-maker. Amen? He's a way-maker. So uh, this morning, let's just turn to the Lord in prayer and the team come or, or whatever. Praise God. Let's just close our eyes and still our thoughts for a moment. And if these folks come up to you through the week, please lift them up before the Lord. We have a wonderful prayer time on a Tuesday, and we'll bring them up again before the Lord. But just let's remember Uncle Bill Buckland this morning. Let's remember Jesse today. Let's remember Josiah this morning. Pastor Billy McKenzie this morning. Gloria this morning. Thank you, Jesus. William. William, I want you to know that Jesus loves you, son. And we love you too. We're going to be praying that the Lord will undertake for you and your mom and make a way where there's no way. It's Jesus is the answer for us. Whatever storm you're facing this morning, Jesus is the answer. We pray for Jeff today that you'll come to a realization of just who you are, Jesus. We love you today. We thank you for every home that's represented in this place this morning. Every person that came in through those doors, we pray for Carol Rutherford that she will be touched and blessed just right where she is. And if there's any other that I've missed, just you raise your hand and you, you, you give their names. You mention their names to the Lord as we join together as a church. Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity today. I'm grateful that, that you are a miracle-working God. And I'm grateful, Lord, that we could put our trust in you. And Lord Jesus, you're more than able to perform that miracle for us. So as we place these folks in your hands this morning, you know what they've need of. I ask for you, Lord, just to undertake for them like only you can, in Jesus' name. Lord, we give you thanks today with grateful hearts. Please keep your hand upon us as we go our separate ways as we go home. Keep your hand upon our families that are here and the ones that are not here. Your hands upon those that couldn't be here today. I pray for each and every one. Lord Jesus, let your peace that passes all the understanding go with us this morning and your blessing follow us as we leave this place in your precious name. We all said, Amen. Amen.